My name is Adam Hanover and this is the Boxing Coaches Podcast. We take a look into the craft of coaching, asking the ultimate question, can we do it better? The podcast delves into areas like skill acquisition, learning theories, sports science, developing relationships and also the nitty gritty of boxing's day-to-day coaching practice. We're here for 10 to 30 minutes, so square yourself away for a while and let's talk boxing coaching. So welcome to episode number 29 of the Boxing Coaches podcast. Uh, today I've got something completely and utterly different. Um, today we're going to be talking about superstition in boxing. And I welcome Davey White, who has the author of a fantastic book, which I've read recently, called Superstitionism, the Psychology of Sport. So Davey, how are you doing, mate? You I'm well? fine. Thanks very much, Adam, for the invite. Uh, I'm looking forward to a, a good chat about superstition and, and such stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and touch wood, the IT works. <laughs> so, uh, David, tell us a little bit about your background. If you uh, well, I'm a former uh, coach educator for Sport NA, but I'm also the CEO for a brand new company called Thought Department. And the idea of Thought Department is to promote critical thinking as a social currency. Because I, don't, I think that's something that we, we lack an awful lot in sport or we're not, work, or we're not working hard enough, if you like, to promote uh, the whole concept of critical thinking. I think scepticism and critical thinking is sometimes seen as cynicism but when I look at um, for for instance over coaching for instance you see situations with boxers or footballers where they're over coached and if they're not told where to go where to stand how to act they can hardly work out a solution for themselves so I suppose what I'm really trying to do is create as a more in-depth analysis of how people think about sport I'll give you a short metaphor uh for superstition, uh, by way of a story. And it's the story of a medieval king who was travelling through a village when one day he saw some exquisite, an exquisite display of marksmanship. He saw circles drawn on trees, fences, barns, and smack dab in the middle of every circle was an arrow in perfect symmetry to the, to the outside, uh, to the circle. So he, the king was astounded and he said, Find me this incredible marksman I've got to meet him. But he was even more aghast when they, when they arrived in front of him with a 10-year-old lad. The king couldn't believe it. And he said, how on earth did you achieve such incredible marksmanship? And the kid looked at him and said, well, uh, easy, he says. I, I should shoot first and draw the circles later. <laughs> so what he effectively did, it's a perfect metaphor for superstitions who, where people, where boxers arrive, at their conclusions first, and then start drawing a premise around it later based on confirmation bias. So, uh, and, and an even pr- a more practical example of that is the idea of being beaten before you begin. How many times have people arrived with it? They arrive with the conclusion, I'm not going to win this fight for whatever reason. It's going to be taken off me. The selectors are not going to give it to me, whatever the case is, before they even arrive, before they even throw a punch. All the time. All the time. Scarily so. So, Davey, how would you actually define superstitions? An actual definition of superstition that I would use is it's a hypothetical stories of confirmation bias where we create mental narratives that feel true to us. And a great example of this was by the England, former England striker Michael Owen, who said, I don't believe in superstitions. I just do certain things because I'm scared in case something will happen if I don't. <laughs> And I think if he actually if he actually sat and thought about what he said there, because he's inferring an unnecessary and unstantiated cause 
as if something's going to cause something to happen just by him not co- completing a certain ritual or wearing lucky happens to be. But uh, but the thing that I, that I I used the term hypothetical, and the reason was because athletes rarely reverse engineer their superstitions to compile any kind of evidence for how often they work. They just kind of say stuff instead, so they just count the hits and not the misses. So why are superstitions so prevalent? It's because they act as comforters for people, comforters and motivators. A great example is when I once interviewed Sammy Klingen, who's a former Northern Ireland international footballer, and asked him, had he superstitions? And he said, yes, before every game, I look up to the sky uh, so that people who have you know, family and people who are no longer with me will, uh, are looking down on me and will help me through this match and through the situations or whatever type of adversity I'm going to face. So where does it really come from, this whole concept? It's superstitions are like the comforters. It's like the toys they used to give us when we were newborn babies. And someone always would give us a teddy or whatever it was. And when we were babies, that was great. But when we were three or four years old, they would try to take those toys away. But we wouldn't let go of them, and we always would want them back. Even though the entrails would be hanging out of those toys, clearly those toys had seen better days, those teddies, whatever it was. But we we really struggle to let go because we become comfortable with them. And that's exactly what's happening with superstition. And we count the hits and we and not the misses because we don't we don't we don't want anything to happen that's going to take those away. And so we our confirmation bias kicks in and we actually lose track of what's practical and what's not. Sure. So you, you mentioned about the hits and the misses. So in terms of uh, the misses, what are the impacts it can actually have on people's performance if they're um, overindulging these superstitions or even indulging them in general? Well, well, two examples of that. One one from boxing was when uh, I mentioned Carl Frampton earlier. But when Carl Frampton went to fight Scott Quigg, um, I really wanted to see this fight. We were looking forward to it. But it seemed that, that it was such a protracted, drawn-out affair just to get this fight on. And finally, one day, uh, the next reason for stopping the fight, which I heard was that Frampton's camp was saying, no, we're not going to fight unless we get the home dressing room. And I remember raising my sort of hands and frustration, thinking, for goodness sake, just get the fight on. But then closer scrutiny revealed later on that what the Frampton camp knew was that Scott Quigg was so superstitious and he always wanted that home dressing room. And, and they knew that. So they said, we're not going to give him it. So they refused to fight unless... They, unless they got the home dressing room. And they even said, uh, to, to cut a deal, they said that if we don't get it, we'll lock it up and nobody gets it. And it really impacted. I remember Frampton talking about it afterwards, saying, laughing, saying, look, he's taking this so serious. We're just sitting playing the game here. But this Quig, who had the, this was a clear superstition and clear, if he didn't get that, how do you go about measuring the impact that had on that fight? And Frampton beat him, by the way, as well. So... Uh, how do we know how much that actually impacts? Because these things do have an impact. The boxer Stephen Ward, who is currently the WBO uh, European light heavyweight champion, and he came through a real war of attrition to win that fight, an incredible fight. And he said in a quote after it, you know, I answered questions in my own head. So clearly he was facing his own demons and and, and found himself in, really, in a really awkward position in that fight and had to question himself, can I, can I find a way to win this fight from here? But if we come to that answer he gave, I answered questions in my own head. 
the difficulty with superstitions is it's almost the opposite of that. It's like reverse psychology where people are raising questions in their head. And one of the biggest questions they always continually raise is, can I win without this superstition? Can I win if I don't follow this ritual or routine? Can I? And even though, even though clearly the statistics show that they can, they still they still continue along this line because no one's ever actually, if you, for want of better terms, dialogued them those beliefs out of them. Uh, we've never really looked at the practicality of them. And you know, it's interesting where uh, Rafael de Sanchez, I was, I was talking about from the UFC fighter. He, uh, a UFC fighter, had a belief where his superstition was that, that Jesus was helping them win fights. And he was talking about this aspect. And, and I heard him interviewed after a fight, and he was saying things like, well, I knew I was going to win that fight. Jesus told me I would win that fight. So I knew before I even went in there. But I remember watching this and listening to it and thinking to myself, well, well that's, all, that's all well and good, but but then I looked at his record and I realized he'd lost seven fights before that. And I thought, well, what did Jesus tell you about those seven fights? And more importantly, if you knew you were going to lose those fights, why didn't you tell the punters who probably traveled to Vegas, wherever it was, to watch you fight and bet money on you and so on? So all I'm saying is it's back to this hits and misses once again, where if he actually was practical and thought about the thing and realized that, again, it's just working at the same rate as probability and chance. And anything that works at the same rate of probability and chance can be measured. So, David, I really like the example you gave about Sean Kavanagh um, off air. So if you'd like to just tell that to the listeners, that'd be great. So what we had was Sean Kavanagh, the captain of a county, going into an All-Ireland final in front of thousands of people and a massive TV audience, no doubt worldwide, unable to sleep that night because he had to keep coming downstairs to check his bag. Uh, and that's a pretty, what I would call a, a normal, that's not abnormal. There's nothing abnormal about that. It's, it's anxiety and, and many different aspects. But if we, if we counter that then with uh, an amateur boxer who decides to turn pro and the process of management surrounding that boxer, whereby the managers decide we want to get, we want to try and increase their win record. Obviously, they want a streak, say, to get them to thirteen and zero before they can get them into big fights and so on. So what they do is they find the they find fighters that they're either likely to beat or to raise their confidence against, or whatever the case happens to be. It's a very structured, uh, inorganic process because it's actually being managed, but. And so the fighter arrives at 13 and 0, but running parallel to that process quite often in the fighter's mind is because that fighter maybe in the very first fight wore a T-shirt or a pair of socks that they deemed as them come the second fight as being lucky because it helped them in the very first fight. So as the management manages their process to arrive at 10 and 0 and perhaps 13 and 0, running parallel to that, the T-shirt in the mind of the fighter is also on a 13 winning streak. Because in their minds, that, that T-shirt has played its part in all of those fights. So that, that's how sometimes the external factors can lend to superstitions and help the legend to grow in the mind of an athlete. Um, so that's why I called my book Superstitionism. It's because these uh, I, I believe that these things are so ingrained in the mind of fighters and in the mind of athletes that trying to remove those beliefs would be tantamount 
to trying to remove their own skins. <laughs> and um, as you said, that it brings a, a, a example to my mind. I've got a friend called Casey Knackman, who's a Colchester coach, Colchester ABC. Big shout out to Casey. Um, he mentioned about on his very first bout, he, he somehow got there late to the, the weigh-in. They were really, really rushed. They got into the weigh-in. As they were saying, what well, you're on in a few minutes, he accidentally um, he found a coin in his shoe, which was bugging him. But the bloke was saying, no, you need to get to the ring now. So he boxed with the coin in his shoe. Um, it was grating on him throughout the whole fight. But he went out and won and boxed really, really well. So, of course, what does he do, Davey? He makes sure the coin's in his, in his, uh, in his boots for the next few bouts. Then he goes and loses, and but still keeps it in his shoe for the next two or three bouts, even though he loses. Now that's kind of go figure. And that's that's the strange thing that everybody they follow this. That's why I said earlier they always count the hits but ignore the misses. I have a three-stage model, which for me helps athletes and coaches to assess how practical the idea of superstitions actually are, or indeed aren't. Um, the first is expected interactions. So for a boxer, they would focus on how is uh, the opponent, what, what, what's expected, what we can, when you're planning to fight an opponent, what can we plan for? Right, we know he's a southpaw, or we know he's this, that, or the other. So all the stuff you know in their history and stuff that you can actually plan for and go back and realize that it's measurable. Then there's unexpected interactions. The things that you don't know, maybe I use Southpaw, or maybe this is a guy who switches between uh, Southpaw and, and, and things that we didn't expect that they do, or adopts the different tactics, or in, in sports like football and stuff, the weather changes midway through a match and suddenly the wind gets up. Unexpected interactions. But the key thing for the key point for me is, and I throw this out to all the listeners: when have you ever participated in sport, in any sporting event, in any context, where something happened that was completely and totally unexplained? And if it, and if it wasn't unexplained, uh, then that means there's an explanation. And if it's an explanation, then it's measurable which means it's it, instead of uh, superstitions and stuff or, or some on, on tangible explanation, it actually comes down to probability and chance. And that we can plan for. So, so why is it happening? Why is this in this day and age? Why is it ingrained, as you say, in so many athletes and so many boxers? It's because ultimately we're pattern seekers, which is why we see faces and plugs and faces and clouds and so on Going back to days of fight or flight and stuff where we used to be aware of, is that a face in the bushes, a tiger or something that's going to jump out and attack us or a wild animal? But the odd thing is we use process. We critically, we critically analyze every other component of sport. So, for instance, the tactical, the technical, the environmental. But the one thing we often fail to review is superstitions. We don't we don't apply the same form of robustness to how we review them. So we review superstitions through rose-tinted glasses or with raw emotion. And I'll give you a great example of that. Teddy Atlas, the boxing coach, um, a few years ago was cornering Alexander Pavetkin in a world title fight. And Pavetkin was losing the fight. So Atlas said, very loud in the corner, through an interpreter, do you believe in magic? And Pavetkin was looking at him. And then he started to really emphasize it. Do you believe in magic? We can bring him back. 
we can bring your father back. So Pavetkin's dad was clearly deceased, and he was saying, we can, we can bring him back. And why will he come back? He'll come back because his, his, his son, they're going to be talking about his son, the world title winner. And when they're talking about their son, they'll be talking about him. And that was a very powerful example of, of why these things are so prevalent, because he was using emotion to, to, uh, to influence the psychology of that fighter. And I've got to admit, it was highly impressive um, and a great example of ingenuity and thinking on your feet. But that's the pros. The cons of a situation like that are, what if Pavokin went out there and lost? What then? Is he thinking, have I let my dad down? Did my dad not come back and help me? Because people take this stuff, especially at the height of emotion when these things are really impactful. So why are they so prevalent? Because people are always looking for something to make them. We're really looking for comforters in situations or motivators that's going to help to take us to the next level. And so we kind of make things up. So Scott Quigg, Sean Kavanagh, Stephen Ward. So boxers and sportsmen who are attributing their performance so highly to superstitions. So how do you go about supporting people like this? You know, what's the process? I interviewed a, a Gaelic footballer called Paddy Cunningham, who was the youngest captain of Antrim GAA, who was about to enter into an Ulster final in front of thousands of people. And I asked him, did he have any superstitions? And he said, smiling, he says, I, I have a lucky pair of boots. And I says, what are you smiling about? He says, because I know it's ridiculous, but he says, it's just something that, that I feel. He says, these boots are so important to me. So I said, well, if you didn't get to wear those boots, what percentage of your focus would be distracted or diverted elsewhere thinking about those boots? And he smiled again. He says, I know this sounds ridiculous, says, but 70%, I reckon, of my focus would be on not having those boots. Now, Paddy was the most important guy in that team, I reckon, for two reasons. One, he was the captain of his county. And two, he took the kicks, which is the freeze. Now, I was asking how, what impact can it have? Well, if we think about that from a, from a, a sport and a business perspective, on the one hand, you can just picture him in the semi-final, perhaps missing a kick, and everybody walking out of the ground saying, wasn't he unlucky today missing that kick? But then look at the implications. One, they don't make it to a final. Two, they lose television merchandising, uh, or television rights, and then they lose all the merchandising stuff goes with it. The obvious recruitment retention situation that comes with being successful. All that stuff because nobody actually identified that their captain had a superstition. And 70% of his focus would have been on not having that pair of boots. So it can have an incredible impact. And it's the same with boxers if they don't get a certain thing or wear a certain pair of socks. Uh, I remember asking Wayne McCulloch, interviewing Wayne McCulloch and asking yeah. him, mm -hmm. did he have superstitions? And he said, well, he says, I don't. But he says, I, I, I came across an awful lot of boxers who would, ha who would, for instance, have a lucky pair of socks. He says, but these socks, he says, I used to say to them, well, what happens when you lose? Because they kept, they continued to wear those socks. And he says, sometimes the socks were like a, a bleeding board. He said they were so hard, they hadn't been washed because they wouldn't wash their socks in between uh, while they continued to win. And he says, they just wouldn't change their socks. So again, they were counting the hits, but ignoring the miss. Well, the thought department is a social hub. 
with an emphasis on critical thinking. So we aim to unearth pathways for inspirational people from grassroots to sport to elite uh, and from NGBs to the business world to mobilise their talent and knowledge and then share and help spread powerful ideas. So it's bringing everyone together. Our vision is that of, I call it, reimagining strategies. So sport, for instance, can learn a lot from business and vice versa. And we welcome stakeholders in the betterment of sport to contact us and join in the conversation. So to help spark this process, I've included a link to two presentations which I developed specifically to encourage critical thinking. The first is called Luck, What Has Sport Got to Do With It? And that takes a fresh look at coaching in the 21st century in terms of how we conduct sport and analysis. So this specific course showcases the UK and Ireland's premiership insight into the future of coaching without relying on luck as a core belief. In other words, what would sport look like with no references to luck? Interestingly, when compiling information to piece my book together, I interviewed Ed Smith, who is the English national cricket selector, and I asked him about luck, and he said an interesting quote. He said, to deny luck is not only conceit, but deceit. But because it was Ed Smith, I got to admit it sounded somewhat profound to me at the time, but with a little more in-depth digging and a little scepticism and critical thinking, I, I became more interested in his follow-up statement, which was, we can maximise our exposure to opportunities. So on reflection, effectively what he was talking about there, whether knowingly, unwittingly or whatever, was probability and chance, because luck played no part at all. The second presentation is entitled, There's No Profit in Luck. And that asks the question, is luck a necessary component of success or an, or an unhelpful myth? Now, this course is more business-orientated and brings us back to the concept of reimagining strategies. So if you want to treat your organization to a profitable health check, then feel free to contact me at david at thoughtdepartment.co.uk and give it a go. So, David, anything I haven't asked you you'd like to, to mention? Well, I think I'd began with a story, so perhaps it would be a good way to end this with, with another story. There was, once, there was once a gambler who ran into a holy order and said to the wise sage, I was caught cheating at cards yesterday and they threw me out of an upstairs window. What do you suggest that I do now? And the wise sage looked at him with a penetrating glance and said, I suggest that from now on you play cards on the ground floor. <laughs> now the disciples weren't happy with this. And they turned to the wise sage and they said, why would you tell that man such a tale? Why not ask him to stop gambling? And the sage said, because I knew he would. And this for me is very similar to the situations with superstition because our beliefs don't exist in a vacuum. We act according to what we believe. So if you take the guy who, for whom 70% of his thoughts would have been on not having those boots, that guy had just graduated as a teacher. So that wasn't some fool or buffoon. That was a highly intelligent lad. And I think it's important to make it clear that a lot of the people who harbor these beliefs and superstitions, they really do impact them, but they're not 
but this is not something we should just brush under the carpet or say that these people are stupid or I just forget about that sort of stuff because this stuff is happening and it's real. Now, the comedian Stephen Wright had a great quote where he once said, I busted a mirror and got seven years bad luck, but my lawyer thinks he can get me five. And in typical legalese, there's a loophole there. And I suppose if I apply that concept of a loophole to superstitions, then I would finish with this quote by saying, if you always do what you've always done, then you'll always get what you've always got. And my loophole for that quote is, if you're not happy with what you're doing, if it's debilitating or causing anxiety, then do something else and get a different result. We said thanks very much for the fantastic content today. It's, it's been a real eye-opener. And I've, I've been scribbling away as you've been, uh, been chatting. I've got so many notes here. It's incredible. So uh, thank you very much for all the, the information and thanks for being on the podcast today. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks, Adam. Take care of yourself. Speak soon. So thanks again to David. Um, I'm sure all your listeners will agree he's a really fascinating guy, a really fascinating guy. So a few takeaways that I've got from the show, uh, from listening and chatting to Dave, um, is the first one, so luck is actually a superstition. It's not real. Um, So it's actually probability and chance that people are referring to, some measurable things. Uh, Secondly, if our attention is monopolised by superstitions, couldn't it be more uh, better used or optimally used elsewhere? And third... It's important not to attribute our outcomes to external factors such as luck. So develop your own internal locus of control. So as they say in Sports Psychology 101, always control the controllables. Um, So yeah, be sure to get uh, in contact with Davey at thoughtdepartment.co.uk. And also you can check out a few other initiatives um, in the show notes, which is there's no profit in luck and luck what sport got to do with it. Uh, And finally, uh, be sure to check out and buy David's book, which is Superstitionism, The Psychology of Sport. Um, I've read that book myself and it is really, really fascinating. So um, it gives you really good insight into sports psychology in general and of course uh, uh, superstitions and why people are holding on to them. So thanks very much for listening, guys. Um, Look forward to seeing you all soon. Episode 30, where we've got a few uh, special guests in tow. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. If you liked this podcast, similar content and discussions can be found at The Box Gathering. The Box Gathering is a social initiative born out of the ashes of the first lockdown in March 2020. We provide a platform where coaches, boxers, officials and boxing enthusiasts can join together online to discuss various boxing topics. It's free to join and upgrade options offer unlimited access to all our live gatherings, campfire videos and coaching resources. Join today at www.theboxgathering.co.uk.